And once you have a client in a market and a market that uses that technology, the inertia to change a user from one software platform to another is massive. It takes mm. upskilling, it takes data transformation. And so once these companies got to a point that, you know, they had the, that they got to a point where they, they'd kind of, you know, knocked the competition out, so to speak, I've really noticed kind of them resting on their laurels a little bit. Well, hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Ignite podcast. Uh, today, I've been being joined by Joel Wilson. Mate, welcome to the call. Thank you very much, Josh. Pleasure to be here. No, mate, thanks for making the time. So, mate, by, by way of intro, do you want to sort of let us know a bit about you and your, you know, like the business that you run and your journey to date? Yeah, sure. So the business is in the engineering field, specifically to do with water, you know, water supply, water distribution and wastewater. And within the context of master planning for entire cities. So we use artificial intelligence to look at the growth of a city, you know, over the next 50 years, for example, and meet all of the environmental and the customer requirements. So for water supply, ensuring adequate, adequate pressure is, is met, good water quality, and then on the wastewater side, ensuring there's no overflows to the environment. And as a part of that, it's really focused around using artificial intelligence to optimize the combination of capital improvements. So every city will have a, you know, an investment portfolio of you know, 100 million to several, several billion over the next 50 years. And so the optimization really looks at finding the best mix of infrastructure investments to meet those performance criteria at least cost. Nice, mate. And even just in that intro, like I'm curious to, like I'm, I'm keen to go to the AI thing. I think that's obviously quite topical at the moment, but, you know, when you and I caught up before before recording this episode, you've been using it for quite some time, which is pretty, pretty interesting. But I'll kind of, I'll park that and we'll come back to that. I guess maybe kind of walk us through the business journey. Like what made you start the business? Was there an opportunity that you sort of saw? Like what kind of made you get into this space and then grow the business from there? Yeah, absolutely. Well, I guess, you know, I was always fairly passionate about mathematics. And when I was studying civil engineering at university and started doing, you know, the typical structures, bridges, the kind of stuff that I expected from civil engineering, yep. it was, you know, a fairly well-trodden path. And, you know, it was almost just looking results up in a table. And when I found out hydraulics was a part of, you know, civil engineering and you know, much more computational heavy and required a lot more I guess, you know, mathematical application. I kind of followed that path and was lucky at the University of Queensland to have some really good lecturers, a really good hydraulics lab, and actually did the first worldwide full-scale model of the Roman aqueducts. And it was through that work <laughs> that I um, was introduced to the Danish Hydraulic Institute, which is a, you know, a partially, I guess, government-funded and private organisation. And they were the world leaders in three-dimensional fluid mechanics, hydraulic modelling. And so my first job out of university was working for DHI. I had great aspirations of doing 3D wave modelling and you know, all the really extreme stuff. But my first role at that job was just doing you know, sewer design. And I thought, oh, well, this is a fairly basic application. This is just one-dimensional fluid dynamics. And while it was, I guess, from a, you know, a mathematical perspective, fairly straightforward, I quickly realised how much opportunity there, there was in the industry for 
for innovation. There was you know, a lot more to it than just sizing a pipe to you know, pass flow downstream. There's, you, know, you can you know, put in a bigger pipe, you can, there's leaky pipes, do you fix the pipes? Do you put in storage tanks? And the amount of investment going into those is quite significant. You know, if you just build bigger pipes, you might have a, a solution that costs a billion dollars. Whereas if you get the best mix of storage and leakage reduction, it might be 700 million. That's $300 million of savings. And so I, I saw a need for optimization and became aware around that time of a company in Adelaide that was one of the, the pioneers of applying artificial intelligence and had been doing so, so since 1995. Um, oh, wow the water distribution system. So this was back in around 2005. I called them up and I said, you know, you're doing water distribution. I do wastewater systems. Can we apply that same technology to, to, to wastewater systems? They said, yeah, we, we're thinking of doing that. That's great. Can you move to Adelaide? And I'm on the east coast of Australia and a surfer. And yeah. I said, no, I can't <laughs> move to Adelaide. And it was... Really coincidental, it was about a year later and I was just doing some contract work for Gold Coast City Council and was looking at the screen and saw a problem that was just crying out for optimization and turned to the colleague sitting next to me and said, this is why we need this technology. And my phone rang, picked it up and it was the new CEO of Optimatics. And oh, wow. Yeah, and he said, yeah, look, we heard you're the guy for the job. Would you like to join us? I said, absolutely, but I can't move to Adelaide. He goes, <laughs> it's no problem at all. And so mm -hmm. that, that started the journey with Optimatics. And my role there was, I'm not a programmer. I, I dabbled in it. And then I met the team at Optimatics and they live and breathe coding. And yep. you know, head of the South Australian Gaming Association or whatever it, whatever it was. And I quickly realised that, that, that you've got to be born you know, doing this stuff to do it well. Yep. But it was one of the most interesting parts of my career was writing functional specifications for the software. I don't have to come up with the code. I just need to say, this is what it needs to do to be effective for the industry. And so I spent the subsequent five years with Optimatics doing that and helped them build a product that was, at the time, we were using the technology really as software is a consulting service so to get to the software you had to engage us as consultants but their goal was ultimately to build a piece of software that they could sell and as it became more market ready i realized that you know my because of my history with with dhi and i, I dabbled in doing software support and and marketing and sales i was really interested in the engineering application of the technology you know yeah. how do you use it how do you use the tool and so in 2011, as they were moving to selling the software and, you know, they had all of the, you know, the IP for the software, which is, you know, absolutely fine. That was my role was to contribute to it. So I, I didn't, I don't own the technology. I don't own the software, but I do really understand how to make the best use of it. And so that's where I saw the opportunity to create my own company specializing in the advanced application of their technology. And so... Okay. That was 11 years ago now, and we've steadily grown as a company that's really well recognized internationally as the world leaders in using Optimatics software. Optimatics has since gone through a very successful acquisition by Suez. And, and so, yeah, that's where kind of the, the software landed. But yeah, to this day, 
we're working in you know, Australia, New Zealand, the US. We've recently just opened up in Brazil and yeah, have some really good, great partners and work on some really exciting projects. Mate, that's unreal. And like heaps of questions, actually. Do you, do you have team on the ground in all those different countries or are you sort of more remote, remotely based and do the design from Oz, but you... How, how does that sort of business model work? Yeah, it's a really good question because, you know, when, when I started out on my own, I was, you know, one person based in one location. And the nature of the work that we do, when we do an optimization for a master plan, it's really kind of the top of the pyramid type work. You've got to, you know, collect all of your asset data and then build a model and calibrate the model. And this is just, you know, very labor intensive work before you can even do planning. Yep. And then optimization. So when we optimize a system for a city, it's, you know, they'll, they'll redo it every few years, but it's, we, we need to have new clients. It's, you know, it's one of the most interesting parts of the job that we get to work on many different systems around the world and solve the most complex problems. But we also build up a really good rapport and relationship with the client yep. only then to, you know, well, well, we'll come back in another few years when we need to update plans. So I can imagine. Yeah, we need to be we need to work for for people all around the world. So it is a really good early example of being a niche specialist service that cannot be located in every city that we work for. It's such a unique skill set. So when I first started out, it was just myself for. I think around three or four years okay. um, and you know providing you know most of my work was in the US and, and Australia and a little bit in New Zealand but it's always yep. been kind of that 65% plus ratio of, of work in the US it's always been as a small company and as a niche company everything has been reputation that's how we you know that's why people will bring us in rather than someone that's local Yep. But yeah, today, the staff that we have, we've, we have staff based in, in Dallas, in you know, California, in Chicago. We've got you know, a latest staff member in Brazil, a few, few staff locally, and we've got a really nice local office in, in Kingscliff. It's, yes. you know, it's definitely on the, the Google side of workspaces. It's got okay. you know, turntables and studio speakers and skateboards and surfboards hanging from, from the wall. It's, uh, I'll have to come check it out. It's a fun space. Yeah, so no, we, we definitely are not all located in the markets where we work. It definitely helps having people that are in the market, particularly in Brazil, and yep. people that can speak Portuguese. Yeah, I can imagine. an interesting aspect of our opportunity in Brazil has come from a you know, staff member in Chicago that was from Brazil. Okay. It's an interesting barrier in Brazil, whereas you know, Latin America, you know, there's a lot of US people that speak Spanish, but Portuguese is... Bit more of a barrier for entry, so we're finding that an interesting, you know, angle that is is giving us some advantages bringing new technology to that market. And so, like even back when it was just you, like where did the opportunity for the for the US come from? Because I'm curious about like most people who, you know, start their own business, they they tend to work in the the area that, that they live, or and then then from there they kind of go to different states in Australia. Like, how did you? What was the thinking or the opportunity with the US and then how did, how did you grow up from there? Yeah, so while I was with Optimatics and, and building the technology, I was obviously the lead. So they had a, a significant existing base in the oh, US. Oh, okay. So, you know, I've probably, you know, over the last 15, 17 years on average made four or five trips to the US a year. 
going around and you know very early on just meeting with many different utilities so developed a really strong you know, network of contacts in the US yep. and you know the start of the company was you know the initially optimatics needed me involved in a few projects because I was the only one that could do it so that gave me a little bit of a, a, a you know a toe in the door to, to get the business started. But then after that ran out, I literally had, you know, six months of very little work and, you know, was almost going to go and, you know, take a, a different job. But, you know, believed in, in what I was doing and, and had a, you know, a, a large potential client in the US that, you know, recognized that even though Optimatics, you know, could deliver their next project, they really believed to get the best result that they wanted me engaged in it. So... It's kind of dragged out a little bit getting started, but it was, yep. I just, you know, kind of took six months off, probably ran myself into a bit of debt and spent the time actually, you know, owner building a massive renovation on a house, which was okay. really enjoyable and then got married at the end of that. I don't know how we ended up getting married. It was there you go. The, the best time to get married while we didn't have, have a lot of money lying around because I could see how I could have easily got carried away but yeah yeah, it was was a challenging start but once we got that first project you know it really ran off the back of you know word of mouth reputation everything that we do is attention to detail reputation as a small company we really you know under promise over deliver and that that first project was it was probably had the most community engagement it was for a community in Oregon where the community wanted to know everything about Engineering, we had doctors, yep. lawyers, carpenters. Oh, right. One of them could agree on you know, why the city needed to spend hundreds of millions of dollars. But unlike most projects where you just work with the engineering team in the city, we had to go in front of you know, a panel of 12 community members and then have full open days where we've got to talk them through all of the basic principles. And I really enjoyed that part of it, of you know, being able to talk about a very complex, very complex you know, engineering you know, academics on you know, in layman's terms and yeah good you know, to, to convince them in the end and it was the first time the whole town had unanimously agreed on on anything to to you know, make a significant investment based on the recommendations and made unreal and then it sort of just grew from there based on that first project yeah. repeat well, word of mouth repeat business from yeah. current clients that sort of thing yeah absolutely and like talking us through the the growth of the business like at what point did you get to where you're like, I can't do this all on my own. I need to hire my first staff member. Like how did that kind of play out? Yeah, it was, you know, it's it's funny when you start to, you know, and even now you start to think about vision for the company and, you know, you know some things are obvious in hindsight. And, you know, I really kind of was there wondering, you know, well, I really like this, being able just to provide a a very dedicated niche service that one of the advantages, one of the things I'm bringing to the table is they know they're getting me. They know they're getting my experience. As soon as I bring someone else on, you know, does that dilute the value of of the company that that I'm working on? And so I was very fortunate that the first person I, I brought into the team, you know, came highly recommended from someone It was actually... We'd both worked at Gold Coast City Council and while I was there, I'd kind of, you know, rubbed people the wrong way. What are you doing it like this for? It's like, this, is, this <laughs> just isn't right. And, you know, everyone's just like, just just go along with it. We're just churning and burning hours. Yeah, and, right. Um, I had a call from someone who said, 
we found another you that's, that's asking the same questions. Yeah. And so, yeah, met with Andy Faulkner and, you know, I said, look, I, I've got enough to promise you. I'll even pay you up front for three months' worth of work. Yeah. I cannot commit to anything other than that. And, you know, everyone was, you know, saying to him, oh, you know, that's you know, not very stable. But he was, he was in a yeah, position where he was happy to take a risk. He liked the sound of it. And we haven't looked back. He's been, you know, the number one innovator in our company. Is the you know the lead of technology in our company. You know, I probably trained him a little too hard with attention yep. to detail. And you know, now I guess you need it though. Te- yeah, absolutely. Nothing, nothing will will get by him. That's you know not up to not up to scratch. So and so from there, you kind of grew the team in Oz. Like, what was then the the path there to to build team in different countries? Yeah, I think it's really interesting to like to put it in perspective, like, and this is kind of where we're at at the moment as a medium-sized company. There's a huge demand. We, we need to grow. But as you know, as we get to this medium-sized phase, you know, the, the overheads keep going up. There's more administration. Yes, that does happen. We're at that point. We're kind of breaking through it a little bit. But, you know, when it was just Andy and I, we were an absolute machine. We could, you know, churn everything out. You know, the, the, the profit margins were... You know, much higher as a small team and you know but you know that's just part of growth you, you have to make a decision do you stay small or do you try to grow and you know and there are things I think and we can talk a little bit more about this but as someone who steps up from you know a technical role to then having to take on a business leadership role without necessarily you know more by necessity than you know suitability and you know we've enjoyed doing it but the, the real reason that we grew was because Andy, the free spirit and i said to him when i said this is the kind of job you can do anywhere in the world andy yeah and so he he spent kind of a year six months to a year just next to me absorbing everything and then he said i want to do south america i said great you go if you're clocking the hours and if you're hitting the deliverables i don't care where you are and yeah so he spent six months traveling through south america he ended up even on a boat ride to antarctica from peru and it was like $25 a day for internet connection. I'm like, Andy, it doesn't matter. This is like part of the job. Get the laptop out. So he's yeah. there working on the boat ride to Antarctica. And it was at that time that I brought on you know, a, a friend from university who had a science degree. He was doing some teaching, living in Byron, didn't, you know, didn't, wasn't too keen on the teaching. And I said, oh, I could really do just with an extra hand while Andy's away. And so I sat him down next to me. I said, look, what I've learned from university is that it gives you a sound basis, but really the stuff that we need on the job is very specific. So rather than me pushing the buttons, sit down next to me and I'll just, you just do the, you just do the mouse and you'll learn how to do it. And so, you know, with no background, trained him up and he's just been a really good, to this day, you know, he was traveling around Australia in a band, working part-time as a teacher and working part-time for me, but it was a really good role for us as we were growing. He could, take on more work when we were really busy. He didn't want to be, you know, full-time all the time. And then if we didn't have anything, he had plenty of other interests that he could go and do. So he was the next person. And then again, the next time Andy went away, and this time he did the, it's called the, 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 the rally, the Mongol rally. What's, what is it north of Russia? Mongolia. (laughs) Oh yeah. Mongolia rally or something. Anyway, you get a car, you start in England and you end in Mongolia and, you know, how you get there doesn't matter. But he was properly offline. Yeah. So that's when I contacted Neil Moody at Urban Water Solutions, another you know, local biz- Australian business owner, and 
got a recommendation for someone in the US and so they joined and it was kind of through necessity every time Andy would go away I'm like All oh right. Hi, someone noticing here. that you're gone we've got to get someone else and then we kind of grow into those shoes a little bit but we've just gone from strength to strength with our hire hires as the brand name has developed yep. we've been able to attract the best minds in the industry and there's also I think a growing trend between innovators not really liking the multinational big company environment. They say yes. they do innovation, but they really just don't give you the time to, to pursue innovation where, you know, and so, yeah, it's, we, we've got a, yeah, an amazing team that's kind of steady. And so how, how big now? How big is the team? We're only eight people, but eight engineers is a, you know, a lot of mouths to feed. And particularly because of the work that we're doing being, as I said before, top of the pyramid, always needing new clients, needing, you know, not just, these aren't just, you know, your typical engineers that, you know, graduates, whatever, they've got to be, before you can do optimization, you've got to be at the top of your game in modeling and you can't be a back room, you know, just stick your head in the computer type modeler. You have to be able to, and because when we're doing planning, it really is from my perspective, true engineering, you know, yep. and that's the difference between, you know, this artificial intelligence. It's just another tool. Every time you add another tool, you're really potentially creating risk that you're relying on that technology to give you the answer. So to be able to think laterally, to be able to think big picture, to be able to communicate ideas yep. and also be an engineer because, you know, it's typically that more introverted personality Yes, is a rare skill set. So yeah, it's, that's kind of the, the, the type of people that we've brought on. So yeah, eight people, fairly small, but it's, and I guess that's kind of leads to the point of diversification as we've grown, we've realized we need to kind of think about what we offer differently, which has really changed over time. Okay. And yeah, again, heaps of questions for you, I guess to stay on. So yeah, I am keen to, yeah, talk about AI and, and, and your point just then, but I, the, you made it, you made a comment before about the switch from when it was just you and Andy, the two of you, and then as you brought team on, you had to sort of shift your, your mindset or your viewpoint to, to one of probably more a business owner, as opposed to like a technician kind of punching out work, still obviously a business owner, but then you had to think about, yeah, I've got more overheads. I've got to um, think about BD, client relationships, that sort of thing. Like, how did you go about that transition? Was it hard? Was it easy? Was it enjoyable? Did you hate it? Like, yeah, I think the very, the very first step is letting go. Like as the person that, you know, as I said before, I'm like, you know, I'm the one with the experience, you know what you're getting. And, and so I think one of the, the first lessons was to make myself redundant in as many areas as possible. So okay. the better that I train up the, the people in the team, and so long as I'm, we're not sacrificing quality, then that's a successful outcome. You know, I have passed on my knowledge and, you know, and, the, and we can continue to deliver the, the, the level of quality that the brand name is built on. And so you know, at, at every step, that's kind of, you know, what we try to do, you know, and everyone in the team try to, as you bring someone else in, impart as much knowledge as possible and and don't hold on to, you know, I'm the only one that can do this. And so I guess the first step was just from being the one that is watching every little minute detail on a project and knowing that every step is checked as I go to then being able to just take that one step up and say, okay, how do I check without doing every step? What are those, those main checkpoints that ensure quality? 
Yep. And then from there, you know, and I've always kind of done this personally. You know, we had before this business, my wife started a clothing company, you know, a clothing retail store in Kingsbury. Okay. We knew nothing yep. about business. And, you know, it was, it was a you know, complete flop. And you know, I learned very quickly that, you know, having a lot of merchandise that can go old very quickly, this is not a good business model. <laughs> no. so without doing a business degree, I kind of said, well, this was just a very expensive business degree. Don't let this turn you off. Yeah, um, And so I'd always kind of, you know, before having tax accounts, I've always tried to do finances myself and understand it before passing it on. And I think we've been through those levels of progression within the company as well, like, you know, being fairly hands-on on the finance side. Our financial structure is incredibly complex with, you know, eight people, but where we've got, you know, businesses in four different countries, we've got offices in four different companies. We've got two subsidiaries. And so to bring everything together into a nice financial structure. So we're always, as with optimization, trying to make everything as efficient as possible to create as much time as possible. So that's kind of on the administrative side, but on the management side, it is, you know, it really is about team morale and team culture. I think that's really important. Like what we do well is, you know, we deliver projects, we work hard when we need to, but we also, you know, take time out, make sure that we, you know, have got enough time for all of the individuals to pursue their own interests and really support the team in pursuing those interests. I think, you know, keeping everyone happy and motivated and good morale within the team is, is you know, the momentum for growth and for, for sure. sustainability. So, you know, and how do you, yeah. I was just going to say, how do you turn your attention to that? Is that something you consciously sort of sat down and looked at the individual sort of personality types and styles on your team and, and tried to tailor... No formal training at all. And, yeah, you know, just... I come from a working-class background, you know, the first one in the family to even do a university degree. And, you know, I think reflected on just more of that, you know, that, that, that ground, the, the ground roots. And so I think reflected a lot of, on a lot of those earlier, you know, life experiences just in terms of how to, you know how to you know, treat people well, how to treat clients well and how to do business well. Yeah. And Matt, I love what you said around, because I think people trying to do that jump from sort of technician business owner to more, like I use this term with my clients, that sort of 30,000 foot view above the business. And you're not really too heavily involved in any one area, but you've got, you've got your finger on the pulse and you know what levers to pull to help move those different sort of areas in the business along. But like I like what you said around you have to really understand those areas before you can, whether it's delegate, but I actually like the word empower more. So it's about looking at, okay, well, there's, a, there's an area of the business that I know really, really well now. And I'm looking forward to my role as the business grows. It's probably not the best use of my time to be doing that anymore, but I need to first understand it, live it and breathe it. And then when I go to you know delegate or empower someone on the team to do it, can I explain it to them in a way that, you know, hands that sort of baton or that chalice across to them to say, this is now yours. How did you, again, it sounds like it probably wasn't a conscious thing, but is that kind of the process you went through in terms of eat and systematically kind of doing that for areas you made yourself redundant in? Yeah. I don't think any of them were conscious decisions, but I think, you know, I, I like when you're presented with a challenge, like that, going back to that example, when in the first you know, year of business and I had to spend six months own a building, a place, I didn't yep. go out and ask. I had so lots of mates that are tradies, but I just wanted to do everything myself. I liked being presented with the challenge on the day and then overnight kind of 
you know, thinking through how do how do I solve it? And you know, sometimes you know, I do stuff. I'm like, oh, you know, obviously that's not the right way. I'll learn from that. But then, yeah. so that way of approaching a problem does create opportunities for solving things differently. And I would have those same tradies come around, carpenters come around, and look at you know some of the craftsmanship that went into it, saying. Yeah, that's that's I would have never thought to have done it like that. I wouldn't have even attempted to do that. Okay. But I think that kind of translates to how you know it wasn't it wasn't a conscious decision as we were growing. It was more okay. This is the problem we're faced at at the moment. What is the best way that I can solve it? And kind of looking around and you know that's that's kind of my nature a little bit to try to want yes. to solve those problems. And you know it's not not necessarily. I'm not going to say it's the best way to do it. I could go out and you know try to study more and do that but it's you know i guess it's the you know what gives what gives us our character and the, the company's character absolutely mate i love it on to ai so the you mentioned yeah the company like very early adopter of ai is it like how does that software work compared to you know obviously all the the hype at the moment around all these new sort of ai, AI products and ai software how is it an early um, evolution of what we're seeing now is it different is it the same like how does how does what you use help refine your models yeah it's definitely a catch-all term yeah there's, there's so many different types you know from machine learning learning to you know, different types of you know optimization algorithms and specifically i love this because you know i, I don't it's yeah, I, I worked for you know at least a year in the in this field before I even had any idea what this algorithm was doing. So yep. I, think I can give it to you in like layman's terms, but let's do it. It's, it's an evolutionary algorithm, specifically like th there's many different now that are com compiled and mixed together. But the fundamental algorithm this uses is genetic algorithms, and it's Darwin's principle of evolution in a mathematical problem. And so basically what it does is it treats all of like, you know, like we've got the DNA of, of, a, you know, of a species, we've got the DNA of an engineering problem. So we can have, you know, this pipe, that pipe, this, that. It's just lots of different options. And just think of it. I think of it like an odometer on a car. It can be, this pipe can be zero, one, two, three, four, representing different sizes. Zero means it's not in there at all. And you've got thousands of possible options and which combinations is the best option. Now, the way it works is it randomly flicks the digits and then it runs the hydraulic model. See, it checks how does it perform hydraulically and what's the cost of the solution. And so if it's got a low cost and a good performance, it's got a good fitness. So okay. just think of like a, you know, a species that does well. If it's very fit, it will then have a higher probability of crossbreeding with another trial solution. So you've got all these trial solutions. You might run, say, 200 of them. Yeah. And the ones that do well have a higher probability of elements of that being represented in the next generation or the next population. And so then it crossbreeds the, 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 the digits, but then it also has mutation where a digit can just randomly change to something else. And it has creep where it just moves a little bit. And they're just the three kind of features in a mathematical equation of genetics yeah and, and so and then it, you know, it very quickly through doing that without having to look at every possible combination it learns about kind of the the, the gradients and the you know what works well together and homes in on the, the least cost solution that meets the design criteria 
But that's, a, that's just a fundamental example, okay. very specifically, of when we say artificial intelligence, we're taking something from nature and we're using it in a computer algorithm. And so you can see how you go from a nature principle to, a, but then you can go to, you know, particle, you know, swarm theory, and you know, I don't know. There's so many, yeah. like, so many parts of nature and put it into an algorithm. You know, machine learning. Like if we watch something happening a number of times, we can start to predict the outcome without having to think through all the details. So, you know, many different and, forms of artificial intelligence. And then, so with this program that you run, do you just put in those? I guess, parameters that you're looking for in terms of efficiency and cost. It obviously sounds like they're the two things that you're, you're mainly looking for. And then, like, how quickly does this program run those couple of hundred scenarios? Yeah, so it's using cloud computing. So, so first of all, just to run a hydraulic model. So a hydraulic model is, say, you've got the whole city, all of your underground pipes in the city, and you make them into a model, and then you, you know, put you load it up, you calibrate it. And just to run that, for to simulate one day of rainfall or, or flow going through the pipes might take 20 minutes. Okay. And so we're talking about having to run 50,000 model simulations. If you're just oh, going wow. to do that on your PC, you're going to be waiting for months. And if you're trying to do it without an algorithm, you're going to run one thing, go in, change something, run another thing. So you can see where it was constrained previously by... How much time so when we're using we're combining the artificial intelligence with cloud computing so we're sending yep. up hundreds if not thousands of runs at once so we're solving this problem in 24 hours using cloud computing that you know traditionally would take months to come up with something yeah. close and That's the unreal. real value in that is once you set up that problem and you can run it to come up with an answer and this was the first thing that I realized because, you know, when I you know, was introduced to it, I saw people solving problems. I thought, well, that's kind of academic. You don't really know what the population is going to be. You don't know what the climate's going to be in the future. You don't even know what the, you know, when you go out to build that pipe or that storage tank, what the cost is going to be. Yep. So if you just run it and tell me that's the answer, you know, what is it, isn't that, you know, is it really an answer? The real value in having that framework is to be able to ask what if questions, to be able to do sensitivity analysis. What if population changes? What if costs change? What if climate changes? And do bookending analysis, this extreme to that extreme, rerun the optimization in 24 hours. What parts of the solution change? If you're seeing that you need to spend $100 million on a new pipe, regardless of the assumptions, maybe you need to build it a little bit bigger to mm. give you more flexibility to adapt to the future. But if you need to build it just a little bit bigger, but it's always in the solutions, no matter what sensitivity analysis you've run, you've got a very confident, robust, resilient investment. Whereas if you do those sensitivity analyses and you see, you know, well, this, you could spend $100 million or not, then you need to go, okay, well, which assumption did we make? And we might need to understand that a little bit better before we pull the trigger on a $100 million investment. Yeah. But the benefit from the sounds of it is that you can get really robust data that you can then compare with other really robust data, <clears throat> excuse me, in a couple of days as opposed to a couple of months. Absolutely. What it does is it, I think it allows you to think more like an engineer because once hydraulic models were introduced, 
it became so much just this, you know, you're feeding in all of this data and assumptions and it takes so long just to get yep. one solution that the, the water utility can't afford for you to go back and keep looking at this thousands of times. So they just kind of adapt that, adopt that solution. And in some cases, like you're just relying on the computer to tell you the answer rather than being able to take a step back. Like look at all the infrastructure we've been left from, from generations before us that had none of this. No, didn't have any of this technology. It was pretty good. It really lasted well because good engineers sat down and thought the problem through. Not yep. in all cases, but in some cases. And you know, I think the technology was, you know, and still does pose a risk of obscuring that good old-fashioned engineering judgment. And so that's where I think having this tool that speeds up the computational component and then allows you to step back. And this is where the power is not in AI, but in the engineer and in the person. It, AI is great at answering questions. Yep. Knowing which questions to ask it is where you really get the most value from it. So how mm. do you structure the problem to get the answers? And then how do you turn like the, the trends that you're seeing into really clear messages that, you know, that, you know, a stakeholder is going to say, yes, we are 100% confident that we need to spend you know, hundreds of millions of dollars on that solution. Yeah, mate, unreal. I'm just I'm like, I'm so curious about why other modeling softwares that run on iterations that I'm aware of anyway, like I guess my time as a, as a civil engineer, I remember particularly stormwater modeling, you'd, you'd leave the model to run overnight and you'd come in the office the next day and it didn't give you the answer that you wanted. So then you'd tweak a few things. You'd look at your orifice size and look at your wear levels and that sort of thing. And then you'd set it for another night to run. And I guess maybe a combo for another day, but curious about why other sort of modeling software haven't adopted what you're talking about. Yeah, well, there's there's a few reasons. One is resting on their laurels. Like big yes. software companies, and it's become even more of an issue, the bigger they've become. They've become the big, like, one of the biggest industry, one of the highest value commodities in the world is these software companies that, that do that. And once you have a client in a market and a market that uses that technology, the inertia to change a user from one software platform to another is massive. It takes mm. upskilling, it takes data transformation. And so once these companies got to a point that you know, they had the, they got to a point where they, they'd kind of, you know, knocked the competition out, so to speak. I've really noticed kind of them resting on their laurels a little bit. And the other is that it is not an easy problem to solve. Every one of yeah, these okay. companies did have a crack at it. And that's something that, that I'm quite proud of being involved in the early stages of really nutting out the details of, you know, it's not just artificial intelligence either. It's, you know, when I talked about, artificial intelligence there was a lot of random thinking there when I first looked at the way it was thinking it's like picking a massive pipe with little flow in it I'm like well there's can't we bring in some first principles engineering into the algorithm so now it has like you know, you know heuristics built in where you're using first principles engineering to say well yeah, that makes no sense before we even evaluate it let's kind of bring it back in and applying logic, it's layers upon layers of, of solving that problem that goes into the algorithm. And it's not an easy problem to solve, but honestly, the, you know, but from hydraulic modeling out to optimization, 
there's a huge area in between which yeah, right. I'd like to get back to. It was something that, you know, when I left Optimatics was, I was quite passionate about, you know, a, you know, a new idea that I have for, you know, filling in the gap. And it's, I, I know that from my experience working for software companies that you don't just take on product development, you know, it's, and try to fund it through your consulting services. So we're kind of at the, Point now where we're starting to dabble a little bit in some product development now that we've got okay. coders in our team and now that you can use AI to help you write code it's yep. you know, yeah, it, we're starting to dabble in you know, in the direction we'd like to go in the future is create some prototypes of the software that that we've you know the, the ideas that we have that fill a big gap in the market and then not take that to to, to, to completion but then where do we go from there do we you know, sell it straight to one of the, the, the software companies that exist? Do we go out to a third party to invest in the concept? These are all things that I've never really been too keen on. We've, we've It's been 100% organic growth. We've yep. never had any, any external investment. We've always run profitable. And, you know, it's, you know, going out to third party investment is always a concern to me because you see that, you know, You'd see it in past companies where you know they've all of a sudden got investors, and then they're just telling, they're making up these these stories about, oh, we're going to hit all these goals. Like, yeah, that's no, right. We're not. we're not going to hit that. How much pressure do you want to put us under? Like, stop yeah. telling them what they want to hear. Yeah. Um, so yeah, interesting. So that's kind of the next phase for you. Do you think? I was just going to ask you that. Like, what's next for the business? Like, where are you? Where are you taking this thing? Yeah, it's it's look. It's definitely the most challenging for me at the moment as as a business owner. We've kind of hit that point where you know the the you know the overheads, the admin, you know, where I'm taking on more and more of that role through necessity. We've, we're very grateful that we've, and I think it's a bit of a glass ceiling for all small businesses. Mm. You know, and you look at the US as a good example where there aren't too many small businesses that are really successful. They get bought out by a big chain. And the reason for that is the big chain provides that, that overarching management that you can, like, if I look at, looked at my business and if it could you know, have, even just in Australia, a company that just takes out all of those kind of, you know, admin tasks and allows small businesses to grow without having to, you know, because if I was to bring in a full financial officer or full-time CEO, there's no way we can fund it at our current size. So we shoot for the stratosphere and try to hit the you know, 30, 40 people and then be able to fund a full-time person. Or you know, it is missing in the industry having, you know, being able to have someone that's a service provider for those roles. Yes. Um, so that's that's a challenge. You know, it, it is definitely the you know the most challenging time. You know, we we're always cash positive and we don't want to go out for external investment. But I think we're kind of, you know, keeping the doors open as well as in terms of where we go. You know, we're, um, think, you know, we've got a lot, a lot of really solid opportunities, you know, but it's just the kind of the, the fluctuations. I think, you know, as a, as a business owner, what I've always done is, is I've taken the profits for the business and invested it into property and kind of, you know, built, built up side investments. And we're kind of in the, in the middle of one of those big things at the moment where really, you know, that's not the, well, it is, it's, they, they have all been really great investments to make, but now at the stage we're at in the growth of, you know, kind of going through that, you know, liquidating some of those other assets because I need a, a massive float. It's, you know, we've got customers that can take anywhere from 30 days to 120 days to pay yeah, invoices. So yep. 
you end up with massive amounts that are that are sitting out and you've really got to be prepared for that. So that's kind of my first step is to make sure that I'm, I'm prepared, I'm 100% committed yep. um, to doing this and make sure that I'm prepared to, to, to manage that. But yeah, after that, you know, I think it's really about diversification, you know, you know, continuing to grow our brand name, you know, product development is definitely on the cards, you know, growth into other markets is, you know, we, we're, we're like we cover as many countries as we've got staff in the company or half yeah many. it's unreal yeah so yeah, okay yeah there's, there's a lot ex- of sounds like yeah exciting times ahead right yeah absolutely yeah. a lot of opportunities and you know i think that's the, the key for me is you know for me to continue to enjoy the role that i have as a business owner is to try to take away some of those administrative responsibilities yep uh, and yeah and I recognise that I've given, you know, I've steered the ship fairly well as a, you know, as a quasi CEO of the company, but also to recognise that, you know, I think we're in a position where we could really benefit from a proven CEO that has taken companies and has, you know, has really, you know, helped them achieve the, the most. Like there's even on a sales front, there's, you know, certain. Yeah, we kind of sell through reputation and there's different markets where you need to be more aggressive or you need to be in the old boys club. Yes. And, and so, you know, finding the best way to tackle that and balance things, you know, is difficult through organic growth. Yep. Yep. Understand, mate. Oh, mate, very exciting. I guess final question. And I ask this to everyone who comes on the podcast. I, so obviously you are the, the sum total of all of your experiences, lessons, learnings, failures, although... Well, I think we look at look at them like failures. They are, you know, stepping stones to to being yep. better. But, you know, if you had the opportunity to sit down with like a ten year younger version of yourself, what advice would you give that younger version of? Well, I, I don't know. I don't think I've learned enough to like. I, I think I might give that person today the the wrong advice. Yeah. Okay. Um, you know, I think I think the best advice would be like you know, pick yourself up, dust yourself off, off, and and keep going. But you know, I think you know one of the things that I'd, I'd say is you know be careful of of debt try to try to stay cash positive you know that's you know don't don't you know maybe that's a lesson to myself at the yeah. moment <laughs> more so than, than in the future but in the past you know I might even look back and say don't grow just just stay small yeah <laughs> yeah it's the it's so hard because there's so there's been so many benefits of growth the team what we do now is is far better you know how have we not grown would have we stayed competitive and we don't know where the growth might take us so you know, i am saying this from the perspective of being right in the thick of it i'd, I'd like i'd like the the five or ten years from now self to to uh, maybe answer some questions for me advice too. <laughs> Don't have a crystal ball. Yeah. No, mate, I like that. Turn. I like. I particularly like the whole. Just keep going. Like pick yourself up, dust yourself off. Like you know, there's always there's always tomorrow. Like, and that's the whole journey as a business owner. Is some days you're on a high, and the next day things aren't going so well, and you kind of question why you're doing the whole thing. So I think the whole come back to your North Star, why you started the thing, and then just yeah, like you said, pick yourself up, dust yourself off, and move on to the next thing. Yeah, yeah. No, as I tell my kids, chin up, best foot forward. And yep. uh, I will leave you with something that uh, my daughter said to me the, the very first time that I you know, was going up to do a massive presentation at a conference and ended up winning best paper of the year and best presentation. There you go. Um, but she was, she was, I think, about six, five or six, and 
she's um, she was doing you know, speech and drama and you know, I had like five minutes before I was about to go on stage and said, oh, I'm a bit nervous, Anita, and I was kind of half saying it just to you know, make her feel better about giving me some advice and wasn't expected, expecting her to give me so so much so much wisdom or so, something so profound. I said, oh, have you got any advice for me before I go on stage, Anika? And she goes, I've only, I said, I've only got a few seconds. She goes, well, Dad, just make it exciting. <laughs> yeah. Unreal. Yeah. Aren't they so, your kids are awesome, aren't they? So yeah. much wisdom. Yeah, yeah. No, oh, Joel, thank you so much for coming on the on the podcast today, mate. I really enjoyed our conversation. That has gone super quick. So Yeah, no, um, I appreciate the opportunity to do it, Josh. I was, I was quite yeah. nervous. And I was, no, mate, you did so been, well. been great. Yeah, thank you, mate, and talk to you again soon. Yeah, good on you, Josh. Thanks very much. Hi there. Thanks so much for tuning in. I hope you enjoyed the episode as much as I did. Don't forget, if you'd like some help growing yourself, your team or your business even faster, head over to my website, www.coachignite.com for more resources. Or book in a call and we'll map out a plan together for you to move forward with confidence. Don't forget also to hit the subscribe button so you get notified about future episodes. Take care, my friends, and see you again soon.